Hey, um, thank you. I'm, I'm more of a fan of your pastor than he is of me. Um, you might have noticed he has a flair for the dramatic. <laughs> um, he's right uh, about this. I'm you. Okay? I moved to Memphis 23 years ago. Um, if you have any questions about this, my brother and sister-in-law are back there, and they can confirm this. I, I just started going to First Evangelical Church. Um, I read the Bible. I prayed. I tried in a stuttering way to be obedient. And there's nothing about my story that is inherently any different than anybody else's story here. So um, I'm grateful to be here among uh, you all and among the people who are here showing you all the work that you're participating in. And I want you to know that like your pastor, I love the Bible. I know you love the Bible too. So let's see. We'll get our first slide up here. Oh, let me dispense with the... um, attempt to shamelessly connect to you personally, okay? This is what I call my freakishly large family, okay? And yes, I'm a former Catholic, if you had some questions about that, okay? Makes sense to you. And at LSU Medical School, you didn't have to attend all of the classes. So, yeah, you understand that. Okay. Here we go. The prophet Isaiah. You know who the prophets are, right? Um, I want to go through a brief passage of a 2,800-year-old text written by a prophet of God. And the prophets are God's spokesmen to God's people. When we teach chronological Bible stories in Binghampton, we have little hand symbols. You've seen this. You do this here with your kids too. So God created the heavens and the earth. When we get to the prophets... I'm going to, this is the sign. Okay? Because that's what prophets do. Right? The prophets speak the truth of God. They remind the people of God where they're really disobedient. And therefore, the prophet is unwelcome at the Christmas party. All right? You don't lead a church for long as a prophet. Just, it would be a small church right? You could preach that church right down to five or six people who would then fire you, I would imagine. But we need prophets, and your pastor is going to let me speak from one of the prophets, Isaiah, and from the 58th chapter. And Scott York told me, like, every now and then to keep your attention, I should do a Jimmy Young imitation. (laughs) The grass withers and the flowers fade. That's it. That's also from Isaiah, right? All right, so let's start, and I'm going to move down because I can't read anymore with my almost 50-year-old eyes, and we're just going to look at the text, and we're we're only going to look at really about less than 12 verses. Shout it aloud, God says to his prophet. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sin. And let me tell you now on the front end, um, we're not allowed to sweep this away because we're not the descendants of Jacob, because actually we are, right? We've been engrafted into the promises that came to Abraham. We're Presbyterians, right? We understand this, all right? And the themes of this passage are in the New Testament as well. The theme, the overriding theme is don't appear to be religious, don't involve yourself in religious activities, but not obey the Lord, And so Jesus said that in about 20 different ways, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do what I say? You want to be wise? You want to build your house on a rock? Do the things I say. The Apostle James, 
Don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. So this, this is a message for us, as it was a message 2,800 years ago to the Jewish people. And by the way, this is the greatest affirmation for me that the Bible is true. What other book written 3,000 years ago would be perfectly powerfully true for us now? Okay. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of his God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. They were a people who were practicing their religion. They were a people who came to church, whether it rained or not, right? They were a people who tried to keep their quiet times, who respected the Bible, who followed the year's religious festivities and ceremonies. There was the outward appearance of religiosity. Why? This is, this is the voice now of the people speaking back to God. God's prophet is beginning to indict them, and as I do often when the Holy Spirit begins to indict me, they turn the attack back on the Lord. So here's their answer to God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? We're, we're showing up on Sunday. I had a quiet time three times this week. I listened to WCRV even when it got bad, right? Hey, there's no charge for the jokes, folks. <laughs> Absolutely part of the deal, yeah. Okay. I got two services. I'll pull the CRV joke out of the second service. <laughs> Didn't pull too well. All right. We are, we are following the religion. We're even denying ourselves food. We're participating in the right practice of our religion. And God, you're not listening to us. Why are we doing this if it's not going to pay off for us? Why is our biblical faith not returning something for us? This is God's answer. Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, even in the striking each other with wicked fists. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. The prophet's audience just got a little more defensive. Your external practice of religion, he says, speaking for the Lord, happens in the context of your ripping off people, of you exploiting people who you owe money to or you are supposed to have better relationships with. It even, in some cases, comes to the point of violence where people are punching each other. Merry Christmas, wham! Someone's laughing up here. <laughs> okay. We can't, the living God says to us, we can't expect to practice external Christianity and ignore issues of just honesty and justice. There are men and women, doubtlessly, in a group this large who employ people and who will be tempted not to pay them as well as we might should, to withhold wages, to get in disputes over money because we're broken 
and fallen. I want my voice to be heard on high. Okay? And this is the great problem of humanity. We are different inside than what we appear. Really, the greatest freedom, I think, and I don't live in it very often, the greatest freedom of the gospel is to actually come to the conclusion that I really am wholly broken, really messed up, incapable in myself of being obedient to God, of loving even the people who are close to me, not to mention my enemies or people different than me. And the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the new covenant says, yes, you are totally depraved. And yes, you're made totally righteous. And that by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your head and your heart can be transformed so that you're not a hypocrite or that at least your hypocrisy is minimized. One of the greatest blessings that we long for in the return of Jesus is that internal battle will be over. That evil will be banished even from our hearts where it lives and we'll be able to fulfill everything of God's will for us. God, again, is this an unjust, unloving, hypocritical religion? Is this the kind of fast I've chosen only a day for people to humble themselves. It's a rhetorical question, isn't it? Now, here's the prophet's answer from the Lord, the solution, the, the thing that ought to be rather than the thing that is. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. I grew up in New Orleans. I've never lived in anything but cities. I don't know what a yoke is. I don't, if an ox kissed me on the mouth, I wouldn't know what an ox was. Okay. Big animal. All right. But you understand the language here. This is the language of chains, of bounding people and animals, of putting people in subjection And we have that in our midst, in our city. Some of us don't know it because we don't see it. Because we have a wide separation in our city between people who are dealing under oppression and yokes and difficulties. And I don't mean only spiritual things. That's of course true in this passage. It's true of all people that we're slaves to sin and to the evil one, that this is a world ruled presently by a usurper rather than the Lord King of all. But I mean actual oppression and yokes. I mean the sort of things that if they happened to us and our families, we we would bristle against them. We have a yoke, an oppression in an unequal education system in our community. If your kids went to a school where only 23% of the children there were proficient in reading, you would view that as an injustice. But that's the stats. That's the status. That's the status quo of most of the underperforming city schools that we have, like a hundred of them. 
involving thousands of young children. But they look different than us. There's enough knucklehead doctors for all of Shelby County, but we're not distributed in a just way. And it has life and death consequences. An African-American born man, born in 1964, like I was born in 1964, is going to live eight years less than me. The infant mortality rate among African-Americans is two and a half times higher than it is for white kids in this county. A woman with breast cancer, if she's black, is twice as likely to die. This is unjust, isn't it? See, I'm a right state, right wing, red state, whatever I am. I'm a conservative, like you. I used to think justice in the Bible meant that the bad guy gets what the bad guy deserves. And that's true. I mean, part of the great beauty of the gospel is that the punishment I deserve falls on Jesus. But in the Bible, justice is it's a multi-meaning word. It means something else, too. It means fairness and equity and, and a, an even shot. If you read the Torah, it's pretty amazing. Everybody gets land. Everybody gets a chance to prosper. If you fall on hard times, you're allowed loans without having to pay interest. The loans are forgiven if they go too long. You can even eventually get your land back. In, in the theocracy of God, which I understand we don't live in now, you would never have really, really poor people for long, and you would never have really, really rich people for long. You can't get rich if you have to loan money without interest, forgive debts, return property. Because the God of Israel is a God of justice and righteousness. Do you want me to hear you, the Lord says? Do you want your fasting to be real? Look at the yoke of oppression and injustice and do something about it. Um, I show this map everywhere I get a chance to speak. This is Memphis. You can see the river here. And if you were... If you had eagle eyes, you could see dots, and every dot there is 50 people. And every blue dot is 50 black people, and every red dot is 50 white people. And you can see that our city, we don't live together. The yellow, if you can see it, are Latinos. It's a growing population. There are only four Asians who live in Memphis. I think you know that. <laughs> They're curing cancer at St. Jude right now. We don't live together. We haven't lived together for a long, long time. And um, it means that it's possible not to know about oppression. It's possible not to see the depth of suffering that people have. It's possible because we've honestly sort of insulated ourselves where we have functioning communities and functioning institutions like schools and safish neighborhoods. Not to know that that doesn't happen everywhere, but that doesn't happen everywhere. The education and medical and housing differences are, are vast. I don't pretend to tell you that it's easy to fix. It's not. The 
problems are really bad because the fall was really bad. Our rebellion against God was really, really bad. We're messed up here and here. The racial enmity that exists in this city is astounding. Oh, my goodness. There is nothing but the supernatural power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ working through his people and his church that can change this. Nothing. Okay, so let me push a little harder and then I'm going to give you the good news. Um, These difficulties are persistent and powerful, seemingly um, unfixable, okay? I, I shared yesterday, I thought when me and my partners would open a health center in Southwest Memphis, which at the time was the most medically underserved part of the city, I thought that people would be just overwhelmed with our um, goodness and charity and uh, benevolence and that they would eagerly listen to everything that we said about their health and we would eradicate hypertension and diabetes and asthma in a few months, right? And that we would share our, our vision of Christianity with them and there would be hordes of new converts and they would form churches and they would name them after me and my partners. Okay. And about the second or third year, they would carry us out on their shoulders to the statue that they directed for us. Proud, stupid, stupid. Again, the work of the evil one, the power of evil in our culture, in our city, the centuries of histories of, of difficulty, like these, these seemingly intractable problems don't go away of, with 10 years of living somewhere or 20 years. Like, this is going to take the work of the Holy Spirit and the people of God for a long time. And we can't do token efforts. That's what the pennies are supposed to mean. Because I'm, I remember myself thinking this. Like, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with the you know, unfairness I see around me. And I want, I want to do something. But it's got to be kind of manageable. Because I'm a busy guy. You know, I got, I got a family. I got a business I'm building. Or, and so what I want, and what some of you are going to ask me for this, today even though I'm going to say this out loud, some of you are going to say, hey, could I come down and, could I, you know, I run this business, maybe I could do it. All right, so thank you for that. But if you want the blessings, what you're about to hear in this passage, we can't do that. The problems are too big. The, the enmity is too great. The enemy is too strong for token efforts. They can actually do more harm than good. You know that. That message is beginning to be heard by people. Don't come down to my neighborhood and throw a turkey on somebody's front porch. Bad idea. We, we do that sort of thing. Read Brian Fickert's book, When Helping Hurts. It's good. It's helpful. Don't let me dissuade you from engaging by telling you it's difficult. I'm just telling you the truth. But we can't just do a little something. And you're not. Grace Venture is not a little deal. When you're generously giving to this church, they got smart people who are looking at the city and praying and asking to be led by the Holy Spirit to dispense those gifts and monies wisely. 
It can't and shouldn't ever be a token thing. All right, and I've already made this point. When we started our health clinic 18 years ago, we were stupid, okay? And anyone who wants to go bumbling into the quagmire of poverty and racial enmity and difficulties that is Memphis, Tennessee, will quickly learn they don't know anything, okay? Um, I, I, the complexity of racial relations in this city, astounding, that doesn't mean that we don't go forward. But it means we have to have our eyes open. All right. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Those of you who love your Bibles, you're hearing in that Matthew 25, you're hearing Jesus talk about the hungry and the poor and the naked. And this is, I think these are complementary things. The, the verse before is talking about injustices and raging angrily against them. And this is about meeting just basic needs, food and water and clothing. And then because there's somebody in this audience or the next one who needs to hear it, 3,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit said, and don't turn away from your family either. Some of us have included our unwillingness to be gracious and share even to the people in our own family, our own flesh. Maybe we do it in the name of tough love. Maybe it's the right thing to do in some cases. But the human heart is greedy. We never admit that. We'll say, you know, I, I struggle with lust. I do that. I... I I gossip. Let me tell you something about her. Thank you again for laughing. But does anybody raise up their hand and say, you know, I like money a lot, and I don't like to give it to anyone but me. Y'all pray for me. I'm a greedy son of a gun. All right. Here's the good news. Look at injustice. Look at oppression. Look at it with your eyes wide open. Look at it really really honestly and approach it without a token understanding and begin to do that and listen to what God says to you. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I'm almost certain that the alternative translation in the second half of that is your righteous one will go before you and the Lord will be your rear guard. I think this is a reference to God with the Israelites in the wilderness, that he went ahead of them to protect them and show them where to go, and he protected them from behind. You love the oppressed. You work for their freedom. You love the poor and needy, and you care for them. The Lord goes in front of you and stays behind you. He guards your way. Anybody here in a little spiritual darkness who wants a light to shine through? Fight against injustice. Give generously to the needy and watch God answer this prayer. Watch him keep this promise. Not just for you or your family, not just for this church even, for the church and for our city. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help and he'll say, here am I. 
Do you want, the Lord says to you, do you want me to be attentive to your praying? Do you want me to hear your call for help and to be ready to help you? I want to be that person for you, the Lord says. I want to be the one who's ready to listen to your appeal. Fight against injustice. Empty yourself on behalf of the needy, and I will listen to you. If you'll do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you'll spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Yesterday, Jonathan Todd asked the four of us, um, hey, give us one of your most disappointing moments in the work you've done among the needy or the way you've worked through your um, vocation to expand the kingdom of Jesus. So I didn't tell this story because I wanted you to hear it. I told another story. I, I told them yesterday. I got lots of embarrassing stories. So here's, here's one. Uh, one of the greatest things I get to do is HIV care. We take care of almost a thousand people living with HIV and AIDS in our clinics. And uh, when I was learning to be a doctor 25 years ago, we didn't have any medicines. We, we didn't have anything that worked, and people uniformly died, and they died horribly. But now, if you'll connect with people and you'll get them to see their doctor and take medicines, these amazing medicines that we have now, they can live normal lives. Everybody understands Michael, not Michael Jackson, uh, Magic Johnson. <laughs> It's been alive for 25 years with AIDS, right? Okay, so we, Christ Community, we're, we're dealing with kind of the marginalized people who don't have insurance, and some of them are homeless, and some of them have substance abuse issues, and some of them have mental health issues, and, but some of them have all of that. But you get to have some amazing successes, and I had, I've had several of those. And uh, there's a woman named Brenda who came at the very end of that disease. She was almost dead. Uh, there's a Tom Petty line. She had one foot in the grave and one on the pedal, right? And for whatever reason, the people at the clinic that takes care of HIV at the med weren't able to connect with her, and she wouldn't take her medicines, but we did. We found a way to love her and make her listen to us, and we convinced her that she needed to take this medicine, and we watched gradually over months her improvement, and she stepped away from the grave. And a year and a half later, her immune system was back to normal, effectively. And her weight was back on her, and she was able to care for her kids. And I was looking through the chart, so very proud of myself for doing this great work. I went in to see her, because they come every three months to get checked up, and I opened the door, and Brenda had a little bedside table in the exam room, every drawer open, and she was stuffing Band-Aids and antibiotic ointment and bandages in her purse. She was stealing. And um, indignation arose in me. Okay. How dare she steal from the other poor people that we're trying to care for? She's stealing from God. Oh, no, no, no. She's stealing from Rick Donlin. I gave her life. Is she so ungrateful? And I yelled at her in the hearing of many people. And you're a better Christian than I am, so don't be shocked at the story, okay? And I took her with me. I didn't 
manhandler, but I took her with me and I explained to her that she had stolen from me and it was shameful and I walked her out and I kicked her out of my Christian clinic. Which is one of my greatest humiliations. It's evidence that I don't really understand the gospel. Okay, Brenda's broken and she steals, even from people who are kind to her. The living God is kind to those who are ungrateful and evil. I'm no better than Brenda. And it's hard for me to care and love for somebody if I think I'm better than they are. I had to apologize to her, to my staff. I pointed the finger. Those people, if they would just be like me, if they would take their education seriously, if they'd stay married, if they'd quit smoking crack, if they'd be more like me, everything would be all right. Well, they are like me. Rebellious, broken, sinful, hypocritical. And in utter need of the forgiveness and transformation that comes from the gospel. That is the new covenant, the second covenant, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to transform my judgmental, self-righteous, unloving heart to care. And when, by the God, by God's grace and his mercy and the working of the Holy Spirit, that happens, and I'm not stuck and neither are you, we're not stuck. When sanctification happens, God gets glory because only he can do it. And he hears our prayer. And he gives us the capacity to love our neighbors. And our light shines in the darkness. The Lord will guide you always. I would like that. He'll satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land. will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. I prayed this for my wife this morning. Um, she's going to be here for the second service, going to bring my children. We're going to have them here. You can examine them for scars or anything else that you like to do. Um, but she's been beat up a little bit lately. Um, we have our kids in the school two blocks from our house, and things have not been going great there with the leadership there. And Friday night we had some well-meaning Christian friends. Of, um, offer some critiques about the way we were doing ministry. I know, because I've been watching God do this for us for 10 years, that he will be to her a well, he'll be water, and she'll be a well-watered spring. But you know what? She has spent herself for the needy. And she needs refreshing. And she will receive this from God, I know it. Because she's poured herself out. She's put her self and her children in a place of uncomfortableness. And I know that the Lord will keep his promises to me and my family and to my wife. He'll be, because Jesus is the living water, he will be water for her and for us and for anyone who takes this promise, this 
rebuke and encouragement from the prophet, seriously. Almost through. And this is why this text is a missional text. This is a text finally gets to the point of the missions conference week that this is about the kingdom of Jesus. He's come by his resurrection. He has established his kingdom and he is yet to come and will bring all of his rule and consummation to consummation. And you and I live between these two appearings of the king. And we by the Holy Spirit's power, can become a people who rebuild the ancient ruins, who will raise up the age-old foundations. We could be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. This is true materially and physically and spiritually and metaphorically. We, even this band of people, this church, with the Holy Spirit and the resurrection power of Jesus working in it, can be a transformative, transcendent force for good in our culture, in our city. I don't just believe that because it sounds good. I believe it because the Bible says it, and I believe it because history has shown it. You should push on these guys who manage this Grace Venture thing. They're good people. Push them to be even more aggressive. How can we be rebuilders of the city? How can we empty ourselves on behalf of the needy even more? How can we push the promises of God so that this church realizes this more and more? Already you're far ahead of most churches. You understand that? Let me pray for us, and then Dr. Young is going to come up also. Father in heaven, we're broken and sinful and rebellious, and if you had not been merciful to us, if you hadn't called us and spoken to us, we would be still um, utterly without hope. Jesus, if we're not abiding in you, then we're branches that dry up, that are used, useful only to be swept up and, and burned. We pray by the power of Jesus Christ's resurrection that you would move in our hearts to believe this truth, that you would give us the courage to face the reality of our city and the oppression and injustice that exists and that take this commandment from you, Lord, seriously and by the power of the Spirit to turn our hearts to oppression and injustice, to turn our hearts to the hungry and the needy, knowing that when we do that, You hear us. You go before us and behind us. You're a light in our darkness. You will restore our strength. And you'll use us to even rebuild our city. Do that, we ask in Jesus' great name. Amen.